Do you realize we're selling you complete 700, 800 card sets? Complete sets from the factory for $10 a set? $10 a set? $10 and 10 cents a set is what we're doing it. <laughs> you look at the number. Think of that, folks. That's unreal. Including the 87 Fleer. There's not another set here that books less than $10. There's not a set here. Not anywhere here. The 88 Fleer is like 30 something dollars. Every one of them is $15, $20, $25 a set. Every set. We're at $10 a set. This is wholesale, folks. Good evening. I'm Hugh Downs. And I'm Barbara Walters. And this is 2020. From ABC News, around the world and into your home, the stories that touch your life. This is 2020. Rest in peace, Don West and Barbara Walters. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! The following takes place on January 3rd, 1983, from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Events occur in real time. Episode 337, submission number 125. January 3rd, 1983, in Game Shows. Well, guys, today, the day that this episode is being released, is the 40th anniversary of really what I think is maybe one of the biggest dates in game show history. It goes up there with June 20th of 1980 when we lost... Hollywood Squares, and we lost Chain Reaction, and we lost the new High Rollers, and they were all replaced by the David Letterman Show. We talked about that, though, back in June of 2020. Go back in the archives and listen to it. But I think this takes a different twist on it. This isn't three game shows, three really good game shows getting canceled for David Letterman in – clearly a spot that maybe his show shouldn't have been in to begin with. It shouldn't have been a daytime show. He clearly had a nighttime audience. This was sort of the renaissance of the, the game show, if you will. Maybe not necessarily the rebirth, but I think when you look at game shows, I think this date clearly brought game shows into a more contemporary era in terms of music, in terms of pacing, in terms of technology used, and at least with three of the things we're going to talk about, I think that holds very true. And as Greg noted at the start of the episode, we're going to go through in chronological order. And Greg said everything happens between 10.30 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. So we're going to start at 10.30 a.m., the debut of the new version of Sale of the Century. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Sale of the Century because this episode by no means is about Sale of the Century, but it deserves some inclusion because, hey, it's part of this big day, this new lineup, and obviously it lasted over six years. It had a legacy. But really, this initial show in this game show block really did set forth this new era of game shows. 
when you hear that bombastic theme, when you look at the glitz on the set and all the prizes and all the money that's being handed out or on offer and the set, this isn't like some show from the late seventies or early eighties. I mean, if you compare like blockbusters to this, Blockbusters would be boring compared to this. It's two and, different eras, and the crazy thing is, Blockbusters was canceled less than a year earlier. Yeah, and I'm going back, because this is Sale of the Century, I'm going back to that intro, with the drum beat, and the, like, the, and the trumpets going, and then Jay Stewart's all like, today on America's biggest bargain sale... Da, 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 da. And then, I don't know if they would have done well, they probably would have done it, but that suitcase that was chroma keyed in with all the money in it and the $100,000, you knew this was going to be big. That was later, but still, even without that, again, you have this very gold slash tan slash beige colored set with the lights and you've got the glitz you've got the the models uh, wearing the different outfits the the furs or what have you i mean it didn't look like the price is right it looked like it was taken to a new level than where the price is right was at but also just again everything on offer the money the cars the boats the trips the furs the furniture everything just Brought it to a bigger scale, I think. And the one thing I think we should mention about the first probably 13 weeks of sale of the century, the game isn't vastly different. It didn't change much over time. They did add the 60-second speed round near the end of the show, but pretty much the game is the same between 1983 and 1989. And also, obviously, they added instant cash uh, near the end of the run. But the one thing that I think we need to mention is the first hostess. And we've talked about her because she was on Match Game Hollywood Squares for a week, Sally Julian. And if you've ever seen the premiere episode, with all due respect to Sally Julian, because she's not with us any longer, her outfit, she looked like an astronaut. I'm sorry. And maybe that has to do with this whole sort of I don't want to say neo-futuristic way the, the game show looked. It, it didn't look like your father's show from even like a year or two earlier. That's why I said it's like a new era. And I wonder if that's why she wore this outfit on this first show, because it's the future. It's a new game show. It's a new type of game show, or at least a, a, a high stakes game show. And it sort of ushered in that era with like pressure luck with the big prizes and and uh some of the other game shows from the 80s but uh this definitely deserved to mention just because it is part of history on this day on on January 3rd of 1983 but also it's a big deal sale of the century cuz it's Jim Perry's return to NBC yeah because he was on car charts for 3 years and they'd have to wait like another 15 months for him to return to sale of the century but he was doing definition over in Canada, so things were good for him. And he also did one other pilot around that time, but uh, between uh, 1981 and 1983. And it's going to be on the schedule in summer of 2024. 
And if you know what the title is and you know what just got announced recently for summer of 2024. Put two and two together. You can easily get it. Yes. Let's just say Helen Hunt is not going to be involved in this. Well, we can also say that this show we're going to cover in summer 2024. Just like a, a, a tornado, it blows. Uh, I like this. Thank you very much. Now, I did too, but I, I think the uh, the gimmick doesn't get very far. But we'll talk about that in about 18 months. Yeah, let's we're, getting, now, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's now jump a little bit ahead in time. So we watched Sail of the Century. It lasted from 1030 to 11. And then at 11, but we can watch Wheel of Fortune. Nothing wrong with Wheel of Fortune. Perfectly good show. But we like watching the perennial Price is Right. So we flip over to CBS. And this is probably about 11.07, 11.08, 11.10 a.m. The second pricing game of the day. A new pricing game is introduced. And not just any new pricing game is introduced. The pricing game is introduced. When you think of the Price is Right, you probably think of this pricing game. It's the debut of Plinko. And again, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Plinko, but some interesting stuff. The reveal of Plinko, we've seen it change over the years. You know, currently they have George Gray saying, you're going to play Plinko, and they raise the curtain and there's the Plinko board, and then you have the $50,000 uh, CJI on the screen, and you have the Plinko chips dropping whatnot. Yeah, that's cool. And also, if we go back even further, talking about, again, 1983 till the current era, you had that sign that was sometimes in the back of the audience, and sometimes it was on one of the turntables, and they would rotate, you're about to play Plinko, and then the uh, sort of act like a vertical blind where they sort of turn the blinds over and it showed the $25,000 and the camera would be zooming in, zooming in, zooming in, zooming in. Yep. But early on, they didn't do that. They brought from the ceiling, from the, the rafters, on the display where they'd show like watches or jewelry or whatnot. And what was on this display was a mirror ball, almost like a disco ball, a little disco ball. And around it, they had uh, orbiting a display that said $25,000 on some sort of like lucite or or plastic rotating around it. Very futuristic, maybe sort of following this sort of theme we have here with Sale of the Century bringing in a new era of game shows. Maybe that's what Plinko is doing here is sort of ushering in this new era in Price is Right's 11th year, saying, hey, we're not just this show that gives away you know, furniture or TVs or grandfather clocks. We're kind of like trying to stay ahead of the game, and we're going to give away $25,000, which really, what game show in 1983 would have given away at one chance, at one opportunity, $25,000? Pyramid? Well, I was actually thinking few, and that was four years earlier. But still, how many game shows offered $25,000 in one fell swoop on a show? Very few. I mean, Wheel of Fortune, if you're very lucky and very good, but highly doubtful, 
Card sharks, again, if you're highly lucky, few. Pyramid, like uh, like Chico said, but that's kind of sort of the list at this point. Press your luck, but again, press your luck is going to happen later in 1983. So yeah, there's not many shows that you can win this huge amount on one try. And we know Sale of the Century, you can win $100,000, but that's not in one try. you got to win eight, nine, ten games to conquer and that. not all of it is in cash, mind you. Oh, yeah, this is all currency, all cash. Straight cash, homie. Oh, yeah, that's the real money. That's the kind of money I like. That's that paper money, man. It's that Virgil breadstick money. Oh, yeah, meat sauce. Meat sauce, <laughs> baby. So, again, the reveal is more or less the, the main reason we talk about it. Again, for the sake of completeness, we need to mention Plinko. And the game itself, the initial player, she ended up winning three Plinko chips on top of the one that she got. And she got 500, then 500, then 500, and then she hit the big one, $5,000, $6,500. And that's like a decent car at that point. Just to put some perspective into this. $6,500 is a pretty nice car back in 1983. Well, now that Price is Right debuted its new game, and they spun the wheel, they played a few more games. Hey, NBC has this new show that's premiering at 1130. So I'm going to bypass the second half of Price is Right. We're going to go over to NBC and we're going to talk about Hitman. Wait, we're going to be talking about Bret Hart? No! Oh. You know, I thought I could have been the host of the NBC's Hitman. I would have made a better host than Peter Tamorka, that piece of crap. Hitman aired on the NBC television network from January 3rd, 1983 to April 1st, 1983 for 65 episodes. One half hour from now, you'll know enough about the making of The Wizard of Oz and jeans to win $10,000 in cash if you were a contestant on Hitman. is true. We're going to make you and our contestants here instant experts on two subjects. You see, this is a quiz show, but before the questions start, everybody, you and our players today will hear all the answers. So guys, I really think that Hitman sort of epitomized the new age, uh, if you will, of, of game shows, taking the leap from being more traditional to more flashy, more technology-based. Because in case you don't know, Hitman, a lot of its inspiration was from video games. Yes, it was. I was just about to say, it's like those little things, they basically look like the bastard child to Pac-Man and Space Invaders. That's exactly what they look like, Space Invaders. Yeah, and that was by design. And the whole set is basically, it looks like a pair of opposite facing video game cabinets they do yes 
And even they have like a little marquee on top. Uh, it doesn't say the name of the show. It shows uh, the characters, you know, chasing each other or whatnot. But it does look exactly like a video game cabinet. Absolutely. So you hear about this. Oh, it's uh, supposed to look like a video game. So initially, I think the the first uh, thing that goes through people's minds is, oh, it's a game show based on video games. I don't know how to break it to you, but this is just a giant memory test. So there's no video game action. There's video game looking characters. But this is just like rote memorization. What happens, and uh, as you heard in the open, there's two topics every day. You have three contestants and a champion, but we'll start with the three contestants first because they take part in round one where they watch one of the mini movies, three to five minute movie about a certain topic. And the champion sees the same thing as well because even though they don't play, if they win the end game, which we'll get to later, obviously, involves some of the stuff from both topics of the day. So they see a movie, again, three, four minutes in length, about a certain topic. Could be about an actor, could be about a movie, could be about a fad, it could be about anything just about. And the object is you want to get five answers correct. The way the board is set up, each player behind them had a column, and every time they got a question right, their hitman moved up one space. So they would actually race to a finish line at the top of the video game cabinet, at the top of the uh, of the area the contestants uh, sit in. And the first person to get to the finish line, which again, five answers, wins $300. Second place wins $200. Third place leaves. They leave empty-handed. If the person answered incorrectly on any question, they'd be locked out for the next question, and the other two people would uh, participate in that question. So after the first round, the two people who placed, the, the two leftover contestants, they would go to another round with the champion, and this is where it gets maybe not necessarily a little confusing, but it's sort of creative if you think about it. So the second movie shown. And again, all three participating players see the movie. And now each contestant battles the champion on an individual basis. The two challengers never play each other. It's always one challenger versus the champion. Now, what happens is the contestant who came in first, who won the $300, they got four hitman. The contestant that came in second, they got three hitmen. And the champion, just to make everything even, got a total of seven hitmen. The person who ended up in first place in round one got the opportunity to play first or second. And then at that point, the question's read. And again, it's just the challenger versus the champion. If the champion is correct, the champion knocks one of the hitmen from the contestant's uh, stash of hitmen. And then control goes to the other non-champion player. If the 
Challenger is correct. Play sticks with them, and the champion loses a Hitman. So this basically goes back and forth, back and forth, and as long as the champion doesn't lose all their Hitmen. Play continues like that, going back and forth, back and forth, until one of the challenges is eliminated. It could be the champion, but we'll say one of the challenges because this is, again, where it gets a little confusing. If a challenger loses all their Hitmen, they're out of the game. And then play sticks with just the champion versus the remaining challenger. Whoever loses their last Hitman in this competition between champion and the remaining challenger, whoever loses their last Hitman is eliminated, and the person who knocked out that last Hitman becomes the champion. Confused? You won't be after this episode (laughs) of Soap. Hey, you know, Rod Roddy announced both shows. Just something yep. to think about. A little yes. parallel yep. there. Yeah. So it might be easier if you've never seen it to actually see an episode. And there's probably, I'd say, 10 episodes online. There's plenty of episodes. But getting back to the game. So the champion goes to the triple crown round. And this is a combination of not just memory, but luck plays a huge part of the game here. Oh, and I should add, the champion doesn't win anything for winning the game. They just win the chance to go to the triple crown round. There is a board with eight columns on it, and you're going to have a certain amount of hitmen in each column. They randomize the board, and one of the columns has one hitman. Two of the columns have two hitmen, two of the columns have three hitmen, two of the columns have four hitmen, and then one of the columns has five hitmen. And you're asked questions about either subject from that day. So, again, if you're the champion, you've got to pay attention to what happened in the first round because if you win, you're going to be asked about it in the triple crown round. So the contestant, the champion, their back is facing the board because obviously if they were looking at the board, it would make it really easy. And the board is randomized in place. And what they do, there's eight columns. They call out a column number, and if they get a question right, they put a hitman in that column. And that continues as long as they get questions right. So in order to claim a column, you have to get however many number of hitmen there are in that column correct in a row. I have a question. So it could – oh, question from Chico. Yeah, you said there was like a column from one hitman to five hitmen. Do the questions get harder with uh, the less amount of hitmen you need to fill in the column, or is it completely random? It's essentially completely random. Question difficulty doesn't really get harder because, again, you're given everything in advance. You've seen the videos, so the answers are located within the movie. Now, Now, maybe... They get a little difficult when they throw in some obscure numbers, you know, possibly like how many children did this person have or how many movies did this person uh, direct in their career or something like that. But every answer is located within the movies that they had previously seen. Think about the writing there. You could make it really easy. You could be deceptive. You could even write multiple questions based on the same statement. Yeah, if you had a statement about an actor being on some movie with a certain celebrity or a certain animal or 
or during a certain year? Well, you could ask that question about the year or the movie or the co-star or whatever. So you could realistically, in one fact, create four or five or six different questions. And obviously, since there's a finite amount of information there that you're given in the movie, you definitely see that in the course of the show where, okay, we saw this in the first round where they talked about, yeah, the the the, uh, the name of the uh, movie that this person was in, but then they might turn around and say, blankety blank starred in this movie in what year? So, okay, you don't want to answer, you know, on the waterfront, let's say, now you want to answer 1953 or whatever year on the waterfront was released. So, yeah, so th- there's a little bit of creativity there in the writing where you can go left or right or straight or essentially maybe do a U-turn. But getting back to the uh, the Triple Crown round. So you have to get as many questions in a row to fill up that column. So again, it could be one, could be two, three, four, five. Obviously, you want nice short columns. You uh, ultimately want to get the one and the two twos, and you're done. You get five questions, you win the round. What you don't want to happen is to get the four, the four, and the five, because now that's 13 questions, and trying to get 13 questions right in 60 seconds is no easy task. So again, luck plays a big factor here. But the rewards, if you clear one column, so even if you get that one column with one hitman in one question, you can win $1,000. You could also get the column with five hitmen and clear that column out and win $1,000. Again, luck is a big, big factor here. So you get $1,000 for one column, get two columns, $2,000. If you can get three columns, that's $10,000. So again, you could do it as few as five questions. You could take 13 questions and win the $10,000. It's very random, and luck has a huge part to do with it. Play continues for a total of 60 seconds, or if all the columns are used up, so that's Hitman, the game itself, but there's some things that I think we need to note about this uh, show. Specifically, uh, the final episode, for two reasons. One, game show announcer Randy West was a contestant on the final episode, but also two, this aired right before the start of the final segment. That, of course, would be the announcer, Rod Roddy, and trailing off would be Peter Tamarkin. This would actually be Peter Tamarkin's first gig as a game show host. That's right, it was. And we've actually mentioned, back in the Condo episode, when he played the Doug Llewellyn type on the People's Court ripoff, we believe that was recorded between the end of Hitman and the start of Pressure Luck, and we speculated that possibly Peter Tamarkin got the Pressure Luck job in part because of Kondo. Maybe not just because of Kondo, but it certainly didn't help having his uh, face out there. 
Yeah. That's right. He was on Condo, wasn't he? That's right. I remember talking about that. Yeah, Citizens Court, the People's Court parody in that episode. Oh, but hold on a second. I got to interrupt something. I got an announcement to make. This is CNN Breaking News. Yeah, apparently, because we're taping this as SmackDown's going on on Fox, and Kevin Owens just won a tag team match with an invisible man. Like, that's hard? I can't believe it. If Chris Griffin can win a tag team match with an invisible man, then... Wait a minute, that wasn't a tag team match. It was just Chris Griffin wrestling himself. Never mind. Did the Invisible Man have an eagle? No, sadly he didn't. <laughs> Eagly was not part of the team. He was there in spirit. E- Eagly doesn't know directions. He got lost going to the arena. <laughs> Anyhow. So, yeah. Hitman, really, uh, again, technology-wise, I mean, this was something to behold. The, the music, it wasn't video gamey, but again, it was more upbeat. It, it was a good complement to Sail of the Century with its very bombastic theme. It was a, a very upbeat theme. The problem is, I think people don't like necessarily doing memory tests. But also, it was up against the second half hour of The Price is Right. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. And uh, some fun little facts. First, this will never be rerun. Now, I don't know if it could hypothetically be released on home video. Because when the show was done, the rights to the music, the, the background and incidental music you'd hear during the movies was purchased for one use only. So that sort of gets rid of any rerun possibilities. You want to say something? I was just thinking to myself, not just the music, but also the footage made large, right? Well, the footage, I think, was primarily photo-based. There wasn't video per se. So, you know, press photos, as long as you have access to, like, a Getty Images, I think you're fine there. Like, I'm not any sort of legal expert on, on that type of stuff, but the music itself, I know for a fact, prohibited the uh, the, the uh, show from being rerun. Not, not the theme music, just the music used in the background uh, of the movies. And do you know who Brandon Tartikoff originally wanted to host Hitman? You'll never guess. I know it because you asked me this like 10 years ago. Okay. Well, let's see if Chico knows. Oh, God. You're going to put me on the spot like that. Well, if Greg knows, I want to just want to see if you can get this. Randy Greg? West. <laughs> no, not Randy West. Greg, you want to fill in the gaps here? Jay Wolpert. He wanted the creator of the show to host. Yes. yes. Which would not be completely unheard of, by the way. Well, Brandon Tartikoff thought he had the chops. Jay Wolpert did run-throughs for Hitman. Obviously, this is in the creation process. Had to be sold to NBC. So, yeah, he he, uh, obviously pitched this to Brandon Tartikoff and other people at NBC. There were two factors that hurt Jay. 
One, Brandon Tartikoff wanted him to lose like 20 or 30 pounds. Also, I think his bald head didn't help matters. I think he wanted more hair up there. I know. I'm sorry, Chico. I know you're patting your head there. I'm, I'm sorry. But also, Jay even told – he told me this. I'm, I'm not even going to lie. This is something uh, that he mentioned when we had uh, a lunch together back in 2001. He said that – and again, this may be a little – Un-PC, sorry about it. Bald Jewish men don't sell in Iowa. Brandon Tartikoff actually said that. No, Jay Wolpert actually said that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's why I said the the bald head and also uh, Brandon Tartikoff wanted to lose 20 or 30 pounds. That sort of precluded him from getting the job. Could he have been a good host? Who knows? It's also just, again, talking with him 20 plus years ago, I don't think he necessarily wanted to be in front of the camera. He clearly did his best work behind the camera. And where could we start? I mean, we talked about few. We haven't talked about Blackout yet, but we'll talk about Blackout. We could talk about the pricing games he created for The Price is Right. Cliffhangers! He did create cliffhangers, yes. He created cliffhangers. Yes. There goes Fritz. Oh, no. Oh, no. I can't even get back from that. Oh, Craig. But, yeah. So, Hitman, 13 weeks. Nobody likes memory tests. It went up against Price is Right. It's almost fitting that it ended on April Fool's Day of 1983, because seriously, with all due respect to Jay Wolpert, since we just lost him literally a year ago today, as you listen to this, on January 3rd, 2022, Jay Wolpert was the the crown prince of goofiness on television, I think, on game shows. So it's sort of fitting that not just Hitman, but also Blackout got canceled on April Fool's Day. Or at least their last episode aired on April Fool's Day. Well, we've gone up to the 11.30 to noon half hour. Now let's go to noon to 12.30. So this is our last half hour in our little 24-ish type of way we're presenting this episode. We've saved the best for last. Yes, we have. Well, maybe not the best show, but... The content that we're going to get from this, oh, yeah, this is the best for last. Hey, what do you get when you take a car, two ladies, seven gentlemen, and Betty White together? One hell of an orgy. Orgy. (laughs) Or just men. It's just men. Just men aired on the NBC television network, also from... January 3rd of 1983 to April 1st of 1983, also for 65 episodes. It's the most unusual game show and talk. This is Miss Jolene Hewlett, the cosmetologist from Irvine, California. This is Miss Tammy Grimaldo, a switchboard operator from Thousand Oaks, California. And from the greatest American hero, Mike Post. 
Nightclub comic Charlie Callis. Football great Bubba Smith. From Jeff Paul Link. And Tom Riley. From Mama's family, Eric Brown. And from Shield 10 Yardell, Robert Shields. And Betty, why are we all here? Because it's just men. <laughs> Many females have hosted a game show before Just Men, and many females have hosted a game show since. But Betty White was the first to take home an Emmy for it. True story. And it was for this show, which had two ladies, one returning champion, competing to basically probe the minds of a man. For fun and profit, the panel was asked a yes or no question. Two of the panel would answer yes. The champion would have to question the panel for one minute using topic-related questions prepared in advance. And then each contestant would select a celebrity she thought would have answered yes. The celebrity revealed his answer by opening a folder and placing it in front of him. Each panelist had a key, and if the celebrity answered yes, the contestant won his key. Okay, so you have seven guys, two girls, and a bunch of keys. This is slowly turning into an orgy. Orgy. That celebrity was eliminated from further play. Contestants took turns asking questions for the remaining celebrities until two keys had been claimed. That was round one. In round two, the panel was asked another yes or no question, to which at least two of the remaining celebrities had answered no. It basically plays the same as round one, except for you're looking for a celebrity who has answered no. If you find that celebrity... You win their key, and that celebrity was eliminated for further play. Round three has the catch-up round. Contestants take turns asking one of the three remaining celebrities questions in round three. That predicted whether the celebrity said yes or no. The contestant won the celebrity's key if they guessed correctly, along with her choice of one of her opponent's keys. If she guessed wrong, she lost both that key and the second key to the other player. The contestant who wins all seven keys, or the contestant who wins the most keys at the end of the round, wins the game and goes on to the bonus round. The loser would usually get a consolation prize for each key they've won. If they have one key, they get one prize. In the bonus rounds, the champion was allowed to choose one of the keys that she won the game with, and she was allowed to choose a second if she won all seven. The men attached to the keys walked to the car, and the champion tried to start the engine. If the car started, the champion won the car and retired undefeated. If not, they won a consolation prize, and there is the prove out with the correct key. The champion then used that key to open the trunk inside of which was a prop that hinted at the identity 
at the consolation prize. I'm not even going to go into what the props were. Now, the champion is allowed to choose one additional key for each subsequent win. So if she made it to seven wins without winning the car, she would automatically get all seven keys and wouldn't even have to play the bonus round. they just give her the car. So it sort of played out like uh, Dreamhouse meets the endgame of 1986's Hollywood Squares. In fact, interestingly enough, the person who produced 1986's Hollywood Squares was the person who created this show, Rick Rosner. Of course, Rick Rosner, known for creating, among other things, chips. Yes. And of course, we talked about him in Caesar's Challenge. Yes. But this was basically a 1980s version of Hater Quigley's The Celebrity Game. Hey, we should also talk about the music. Yes. Because you know who did the music on this? I do know who did the music on this. Oh, who did the music on this? I don't know. Stormy Sachs, who you'd know as the person who wrote the theme song to Hollywood Squares. The one hosted by... I like how when you video I do it. I put my fist like... John Davidson! Like, you're, you, no, in order to say it correctly, you have to bring out your inner Super Saiyan, basically. That's how Shadow gets his powers. He just goes deep down and goes, John Davidson! And does he even do that flicks on camera? Where he's like, John Davidson! No, he doesn't the, do that. He has to do the Hulk flex. Like, but, but, oh! but that would be great if he did. Did the Hulk flex. Oh! So yeah, Stormy Sex did the music to that. And you can kind of sort of get that feeling when you listen to it. It does have a Hollywood Squares uh, feel from mid-80s. And uh, even uh, Caesar's Challenge, because I believe he did the Caesar's Challenge music too. So you can make a lot of parallels there. You, you hear a lot of similarities. As much as I love talking about this show, I think the one thing we need to do, we need to talk about the celebrities who are on this show. Because this might be the meat and potatoes of just men right here talking about who they got for this show. I want to see this. All right. So week one, the premiere week, you have Steve Sachs, second baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers at the time, Leif Garrett, Josh Taylor, Tim Reed, David Hasselhoff, who's starring on some new show called Knight Rider. Dick Van Patten, and they let Jeff Altman in? After they put Jeff Pink Altman Lady back in the building? What? Yeah, after Pink Lady and Jeff, they let him on any NBC show? Well, he was on Letterman a lot, but still, it was on this first week. Guys, I got a good game I want to play with each week's panel. It's going to be a game of who is this week's, who are three men who have never been in my kitchen. <laughs> so for week one, I have... Dick Van Patten, Tim Reed, and Steve Sachs. Who are three people who have never been in my kitchen. Yes, that's for week one. I think that applies to everybody on this show. None of these people have ever been in my kitchen. Well, I know they haven't, but 
Yeah. Well, All week right. Week two. Yeah, week two. The names get better. Listen to this. Tony Danza. That's right, because the final season of Taxi would have been on NBC this year. That's right. Yeah, I was going to say, it would be another year or so until Who's the Boss came around. And, of course, we all know who the boss was. Mona. No, the second panelist was George Brett. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on a second. Did he have some hemorrhoid cream with him? Uh, nobody had plenty of pine tar. Well, that would be later this year. That would be late. Well, I know it's later that year, but. That's the joke. And then Jack Jones. The low boat. David Mason. Fernando Allende. He would have been uh, wrapping up uh, Flamingo Road at this time. John Eric Hexham. And Brant Von Hoffman. Okay. Week twos, who are three men have never been in my kitchen. Tony Danza, George Brett, and Jack Jones. Oh. Oh, I was hoping you'd say John Eric Hexham. Well, we talked about him on Voyagers. Yeah. Yep. Voyagers would be on the air at this time. All right. Week three. Michael Warren. Robert Pine. John Matuzak, Sloth Love Junk, Martin Cove, aka Sensei John Crease. Yeah, a couple years before, but yeah. Doug Sheehan, Kelly Monteith, and some little comedian you may have heard of. We talked about him. We didn't talk about him that long ago on Battle Stars. Jerry Seinfeld. What's the deal with just men? Okay, the who are three men that have never been in my kitchen for week three. Hold on, hold on. I'm, wait, wait, no. Oh, well, I didn't want you to, to say it out loud because I was going to make a prediction. Okay. <laughs> are you going to write it down? Hold uh, on, yeah, hold me, on. Hold on, I got to do yeah, this thing. One guessing game. Yeah, yeah, the, the, this is our new guessing game. We're going to predict who uh, are the three people that weren't in your kitchen that week. All right, let me get a piece of paper. I got ten. I got all right. John. Okay. Ma- okay. So, oh, no, 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 no. Write it down. Don't, don't, don't say it. Don't okay, say I'm, it. I'm writing it. I'm writing it. I'm writing it. All right. right. So three people that weren't in your kitchen. Okay. I know this is just thrilling uh, podcast uh, listening for you people at home. All right. I got mine. Okay. Three. I got mine. Okay. I am locked in. So am I. Okay. Chica, what is your? My three what? are John Matuzic. Martin Cove and Jerry Seinfeld. Damn it, Chico, I'm not even kidding. Those are the three that I have written down. What? Are you kidding me? You look, t- look at the screen. Look at the screen. Check. Well, you probably yep, can't the, see it. Those are mine. Okay, guys. Okay. Yeah, you we were tied. close. You were close, but no cigar. I got John Matuzak and Martin Cove. Robert Pine was the third. Oh, 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 of course. Zach Morris's daddy, of course. I would always take Chris Pine's dad as one of the three who have never been my Chris, kid. oh, sorry. Well, well, you did play Zach Morris's daddy in Good Morning, Miss Bliss. So. Yeah. All right. Let's see if we can repeat this uh, success. Me and Chico playing mind readers here on week four. Okay. Michael Dudikoff. Jimmy Walker. Who's apparently there for the money? Money. 
Vince Ferragamo, Will Schreiner, F. Lee Bailey, Jeff Altman again, and Ted McGinley. Yeah, because Ted McGinley would be on Happy Days at this time. Yeah. All right. Three people that aren't in Greg's uh, kitchen. All right. Locked. All right. Uh... All right. Mine's locked, too. Okay. Mike, you're going to go first. Ted McGinley, Vince Farragamo, and F. Lee Bailey. Chico. I also had F. Lee Bailey and Vince Farragamo, but I went with Jimmy Walker. Okay, here's the three. Jimmy Walker, Ted McGinley, and Will Schreiner. Oh. Oh. So close yet so far. So close. All right, so week five. We're up to Sam J. Jones. That's right. Flash Gordon, baby. Flash Gordon, quarterback, New York Jets. And you know what? He'd still be a better quarterback than Zach Wilson. A tackling dummy would be a better quarterback than Zach Wilson. We also have Bruce Penhall. Mr. T, sucker. Brant Bernard. Fred Travelina, Randy Hamilton, and Tommy Lasorda. Okay, you ready for the who are three men that have never been in my kitchen for this week? Oh, hold on, hold on. I'm making a last second change. I, I, I've got uh, second thoughts on this. All right, hold on. Okay, got it. Locked. Okay, Chico. I have Tommy Lasorda, Sam Jones, and T. I again, I have the same three. But my last second change, I had originally Fred Travelina, but changed it to Sam Jones. Ding, 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 ding. My <laughs> man. My man. We hit the jackpot. All right. Oh, hey. week six. This is a week good six. lineup. Oh, oh this, this is going to be a tough one to predict, I think. We have Steve Sachs again. Pat Sajak, Fred Willard, Stephen Ford. Torian Black, who we just mentioned in the obits uh, in the year in review, Roger Menashe, and Hervé Villachez. Locked. All right, hold on. Uh... Okay, also, there are two Steves or Stevens here, so please note that. Well, Steve oh. Sachs can be just Steve, and Stephen Ford can just be Steven. Okay. Okay, I'm locked in. Okay. Mike, what are your three? Hervey Villages, Steve Sachs, and Torian Black. Chico. I had those three, but I changed Torian Black to Fred Willard. Okay, here are the three. Pat, Fred Willard, and Hervey Villages. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Hervey Villages. I, okay. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. I got, though. And, I knew as, it. and as we all know from Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast, Hervey if you know anything about Herve, he had something for the ladies, if you know what I mean. But also, remember, like 10, 11 years ago, Fred Willard had that little uh, incident, you remember? That little incident? Yes. You think Herve gave him some tips? He might have. Oh, my. I'm talking about masturbation. Yes, yes. We know. We know. This is going to be hard. This one's going to be a challenging one week seven, yes. 
Lou Richards, Jay Johnson, Wayne Northrup, Tom Riley, David Naughton, Darrow Igus uh, from Fridays, and Charlie Zimmer. And interestingly enough, I think this is the only week where there are no pro athletes. Locked. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I need to pick one more. This is a tough one. Okay, I don't like the last choice I have here, but I, I can't think of anybody else that he'd pick. I, I know I am wrong, by the way. Well, what do you have? How wrong are you? I have David Naughton, Charlie Zimmer, and Wayne Northrup. Well, I've got David Naughton as well, and I have Jay Johnson and uh, Darrow Igus. You're right about Jay and David, Mike. You missed Charlie Zimmer. I had Charlie Zimmer. I don't even know who Charlie Zimmer is. Okay. Well, his uh, name is Charlie Zimmer. Zimmer. So. Now, you see, I thought you were going to do a Don Zimmer reference there, but okay. Okay. So the next week, week eight, you have Ken Berry, Peter Tamarkin, Jay Johnstone, Tom Dreesen, Martin Hewitt, Tom Sullivan, and Tim Reed. Okay, I'm locked and loaded. I know what three Greg picked. All right, this is going to be a toughie. Really? I thought this was easy. Okay. I got my three. Okay, go ahead, Chico. I've got Peter Tavarkin, Jay Johnstone, and Tim Reed. Okay. Well, I agree with him on Peter Tavarkin and Tim Reed, but I went Tom Dreesen. Mike, you got it correct. Oh, yeah. It was tough between Tom Dreesen and Ken Berry, but I got to be honest, Ken Berry and Peter Tamarkin on the same show in the same week. That is incredible. I knew you'd pick Tom Dreesen because of all the Letterman appearances. All right, we're going to week nine. Steve Sachs again. How desperate was Steve Sachs that he appeared on three different weeks? I know why, because as we all know, from The Simpsons, Steve Sachs is responsible for all those unsolved murders in New York City. You know right. what? Steve Sachs might be a borderline Hall of Famer for the show. How many times have we talked about Steve Sachs? Not enough, apparently. All right. So, yeah, Steve Sachs. And we've got Bruce Penhall, Terrence Knox, Gene Rayburn, Greg Marks, Dusty Baker, and Byron Allen. And I think this is the only week where we had two athletes. And actually, I oh, Greg, I've got you nailed to a T here. I know exactly who you picked. Okay. And also, Dusty Baker, we should mention, he won the World Series in uh, this past year, 2022. Yes, with the Houston Astros. So, so very timely. Obviously, this was during his playing days. Okay, I'm locked and loaded. Okay. Locked. Right. Chico, what are your three? They're right here. Steve Sachs, Gene Rayburn, and Dusty Baker. Two athletes and somebody with a dirty mind. Okay, Mike. I have the exact same three. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's Gene, Dusty, and Byron Allen. I crossed out Byron Allen and put Dusty Baker. I was sure you would have picked Dusty Baker. All right. We're going to week 10. Only four more rounds of this, people. Oh, wait. Hold on. I got oh. a joke. Yeah? You know, whenever Steve Sachs and Dusty Baker 
we're probably talking about their baseball swing technique to Gene Raver. You know, <laughs> what the response would be, "You're gorgeous." No, it'd be right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! We're on week ten now. Yeah. It is David Brenner, Steve Day. So you got the announcer pulling double duty here. Josh Taylor, Don Sutton, Timothy Patrick Murphy, Gary Marshall, and Dirk Benedict. I'm locked in. I I, I don't know if I'm going to get all three, but I got a good feeling about this. I'm locked. Okay. Mike, what are your three? David Brenner, Don Sutton, and Gary Marshall. Okay, Chico. I have David Brenner. Gary Marshall, and Dirk Benedict. Chico, you are dead on the money. You are not a man. Why no love for Don Sutton? I appreciate Don Sutton. By the way, I got my brother for Christmas an autographed Don Sutton card from like year 04 that I got at a card show for like 10 bucks. He's a Hall of Famer and he's dead and you got him for $10? Yeah. That's like downright theft. Wow. Yeah. Okay, All week right. 11. This is going to yeah, be Yeah, week 11. One. Oh, this is another good one. Robert Mandan, Mike Adamley, Bill Myers, Roger Minash, Leon Isaac Kennedy, Doug Sheehan, and Fred Travelina. Okay. Locked. Chica, what is your three? Robert Mandan, Mike Adamley, and Fred Travelina. Damn it, Chico! You know, if this, like I said, was Mind Readers or Newlywood Game, we'd have every single prize. All three. Robert Mandan, Fred uh, Travelina, Mike Adamley. Yes! You got it! That, that was yeah. a pretty easy week, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty easy week, but I will say, Mike Adamley's stint in WWE is a future entry. And dear <laughs> God, that's going to be an epic hilarity ensues episode. One of my favorite moments of the time Mike Adamley was at WWE was one of the time he was about to be announced as the Raw General Manager by Shane McMahon. And he got up before, like two minutes before the announcement, giving away that he was the General Manager. You're making me crazy, Kofi! Oh, jeez! Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That deserved a Susan. Yeah, okay, man. week 12. There's things I think we need to talk about here. Oh, well, I think Chico knows what's coming, and I know I Greg do. definitely knows what's coming, but this this just blew my mind when I saw this earlier. Gavin McLeod, Shecky Green, Tony Danza, Mark Singer, Richard Dean Anderson, Reggie Theus, and Brant Von Hoffman. Locked. Oh, man, I've got a tough decision here. I'm between two people. Oh, mercy. I'm going to – I'm doing a last-second change. I hope I don't regret this. Okay, I'm locked. Chico. Tony Danza, Reggie Theus, and Gavin McLeod. I had all three. I had Gavin McLeod, Tony Danza, Reggie Theus. But at the last second, I said I was flip-flopping between two people. I crossed out Gavin McLeod, and I went with Richard Dean Anderson. Okay, here we go. You got Reggie Theus, Richard Dean Anderson, 
But guys, the third Mork Singer. Shut up! You shut yourself He's up the right beast now. Master. <laughs> I'm glad I switched from Gavin McLeod to Richard Dean Anderson. I, I had an instinct there. But also, talking about Reggie Theus. And I shared this with Greg and I shared this with Chico earlier today, doing a little bit of research because I was curious about how Reggie Theus would have fit this in the schedule because he's an NBA player. And at this point, he would have been playing with the Chicago Bulls. So I actually went on basketball reference to see if the Chicago Bulls at this time frame in March of 1983 we're playing any games uh, against the Lakers because uh, the Clippers would have still been in San Diego at this point. Uh, and I don't even know if he would have gone from L.A. to San Diego and then back up to L.A. So I just did a little research on that. So the Chicago Bulls, they played games on the 11th and 12th of March in 1983. They played in San Diego on the 11th and they played in L.A., at uh, Inglewood on the 12th. So I'm going to assume that this week of shows probably recorded on the 10th of March in 1983, because there's no way Reggie could have recorded a week of shows and then gone to play a basketball game that day. No way at all. Just inconceivable. But also doing a little bit of research. Reggie Theus had a pretty long career in the NBA. Started with the Bulls, I believe, about 1978. And then uh, later in 83 or early 84, he got traded to the Kansas City Kings at that point before they moved to Sacramento. And then in 1988, he got traded from Sacramento to Atlanta. And he was traded, I believe, for the first round pick that the Atlanta Hawks had, uh, who turned out to be Ricky Barry. But Reggie Theus and a third-round pick went to uh, Atlanta for that first-round pick. Ricky Barry, unfortunately, uh, he only lasted a year. Uh, He unfortunately committed suicide uh, after his rookie year. But the third-round pick is somebody we've talked about on this show numerous times, and not because he was a basketball player. El Gigante. I won the belt. I want your bill. So, yes, Reggie Theus and a third-round pick who turned out to be El Gigante were traded to the Atlanta Hawks. That's incredible. But hold on a second. Let's look at the box scores from these two games because I want to know about the box score from these games. Okay, obviously this was back when the Bulls sucked and the Clippers were good. Not saying that the Clippers aren't good now. They're really good The right Clippers now. weren't even good in 1983. There's a reason why Donald Sterling moved them to L.A. Okay. Starting for the Bulls, you had Dave Corzine, Rod Higgins, Reggie Theus, Dave Greenwood, and Quentin Daly. So basically, Reggie Theus and four other guys. But Dave Corzine had 35 points for the Bulls. Reggie had 30 some guy named Mark Overding had 22 points off the bench for the Bulls. Let me look up his career real fast. Big O. Yeah, he had one season with the Bulls. And then, oh, he went to Kansas City. So I'm guessing he might have gone with uh, Reggie to the Kings. Yeah. 
And let me see who was on the Clippers at this point. Uh, on the Clippers would be Tom Chambers, Lionel Hollins, Michael Brooks, Terry Cummings, and Al Wood. Tom Chambers, 37 points, future son. But Craig Hodges, 16 points off the bench. Yep. And Terry Cummings is not a bad player. He played a uh, number of years for the Bucks back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, that's right. One thing I noted when I looked at the box score, uh, again, doing research for this show, there were a total of two three-pointers taken in the entire game. Two in the entire game, both by the Clippers, both missed. And both by former Cleveland Cavaliers, if you can believe it. Rod Higgins well, this, and Mike Bratz. Well, this would be back when the three-point shot was a relatively new thing, and not many people would have gone for it. I mean, I can understand if they put up maybe like eight between the two teams, you know, four aside. I understand that. But two the entire game. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, Steph Curry hits two three-point shots in like 20 seconds. Okay, the Bulls box score, Reggie had 17 points, Dave Greenwood 27, Quentin Daly 26, Dave Porzine 19, Rod Higgins 16. Now let's look at the Lakers story. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah, just a few guys. You may have heard of them. Uh, Magic Johnson, Norm Nixon, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jamal Wilkes, and Kurt Rambis. And James Worthy off the bench with 16. Yeah, he would have been the number one overall pick in 82. Michael Cooper, six points off the bench. Norm Nixon, I'm surprised, led all scorers with 27. Kareem, 22. Magic, 18. Jamal. Ma- wait, 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 wait. Look, look at that. Magic got a triple-double that game. Oh, I didn't yes, see that. Yes, he did. He had 18 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds. Yes. Last week, messed around and got a triple-double. Freaking brothers every way like MJ. Michael Jordan could have met Magic Johnson, had an honest-to-God case for both. Oh, Kurt Rambis only had six points. I guess he was busy being Superman that day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so now we go to... I believe this is the last week. Yes. So we have Eric Brown... Charlie <laughs> Callis, Paul Linky, Mike Post, Bubba Smith, Tom Riley, and Robert Shields. No Yarnell. I am locked. Okay, Mike, you locked. I'm struggling again with one of them. Oh, I may regret this, but I'm going to lock it in. All right. Mike, what are your three? Okay, Charlie Callis, Bubba Smith, and I was flip-flopping between Eric Brown and Robert Shields, but I don't think you're a Shields and Yarnell person, so I went with Eric Brown. All right, Chico. I also had Charlie Callis and Bubba Smith, but I went off the board with Mike Post. Chico, you win! Yeah! <laughs> of course I'm going to go with the guy who made the A-Team theme. Come on. Now, you know, if I wasn't even thinking that way, I, I was thinking a lot of these people were like actors or athletes. And I, really, in my mind, I didn't think Mike Post. I thought, okay, 
Shields and Yarnell was like more mid to late seventies and Eric Brown, he was on that first uh, couple of seasons of mama's family before it went to syndication. I figured you're a mama's family type of guy. I'm sorry. We've already established two weeks ago that he wasn't. Okay. Well, excuse me. That's probably the uh, day that I was going to get Vicki Lawrence's autograph down in Pittsburgh. Hey, did you guys know I went down to Pittsburgh to get Vicki Lawrence's autograph? Yes, yes, we did. Oh, uh, I think that's going to be the new show lore. You know, just like Greg, hey, yeah, I, uh, I didn't do this until episode 300, but I like wings. Well, you know what? <laughs> Since episode, like, 332, I met Vicki Lawrence in Pittsburgh that one time. And Chico went to the episode of Maury, which involved Chicken Tetrazzini. I did. He did. I did. So this show, Just Men, had two things going against it. One, it was on at noon, opposite Family Feud. And in some markets, opposite Tattletales. And two, the show itself was... And now I'm quoting Tom Shales of the Washington Post... The litmus test for people who think the TV show can make them physically ill hasn't been invented. Betty White, a talented light comedian, is terribly demeaned by this role, which has her hobbing about from man to man as they utter answers or remarks that are supposedly uproarious. So yeah, the fact that it was a really bad show pretty much doomed this show. The fact that it was on at noon doubly so well guys i think that wraps up our little journey in the time machine back to january 3rd 1983 oh no we're not done yet guys because we're gonna play retro ebay prices right what huh i knew you're gonna say that we'll just play the regular music but i'll explain it in a moment All right, so what I mean by retro eBay prices right, this is an item I bought off of eBay back in 2004, I believe. So that's yeah. why it's retro eBay prices right. It's not a current item. This is something I bought close to 20 years ago off of eBay. Okay, so this makes a little more sense now when I say retro eBay prices yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, it does. Okay, since we have that cleared up. What you are bidding on is a 35mm slide for a promotional image from Hitman. And this is like one of the art cards they'd use in uh, commercial breaks, either going to commercial or from commercial, or if there were any sort of technical difficulties. This is a 35mm slide. This is not the, the card itself. This is the image uh, from the 35mm slide, which I purchased off of eBay in 2004, okay? Do you understand the, the ground rules and parameters here? Yes, yes. Okay, so I will start with Chico, and we're gonna do just dollars. Chico, 
how much would you bid for this 35 millimeter slide of a promotional image for Hitman, which may or may not have been used on television? I'm going to go with $20. Okay, $20. Greg? Going to give a little bit of leeway. $24. Greg, you gave me a little bit of a heart attack there. Because the amount of money that I paid for this item, $25. Oh! I really thought you were going to nail it, Greg. I really thought you were going to nail it. Cheap well, was very close, too, though. And just a little bit of background information. First, my high bid on this was going to be $100. I was the only person who bid on it. So I got it for $25. That was the opening bid. But also, I should note who the seller was. Somebody that you may have heard of who has a direct tie to Hitman. No, not Jay Wolpert. Fred Westbrook. Oh, yeah, I remember him. God rest his soul. Yeah, uh, and I saw Greg's face there. His mouth just opened when I said that. Yeah, Fred Westbrook sold some of his stuff on eBay. And in case you don't know, Fred Westbrook was in his later years like the agent to the uh, to all the game show hosts. He was like Tom Kennedy's agent, uh, agent for many other game show hosts and personalities and announcers. And uh, he was one of the three authors of the game show encyclopedias. So I bought this uh, off of one of his auctions back in uh, 2004. And then actually in 2006, originally uh, at the Game Show Congress, which I've mentioned plenty of times that Chico and I attended back in 2006, Peter Tamarkin was supposed to be at the uh, What's My Line live show, but he had to cancel just about at the last minute or so. I had the photo of this slide, and actually uh, Fred Westbrook created a like 8 by 10 photo of this, and I wanted to get Peter Tamarkin to sign it, and uh, we all unfortunately I think know what happened to Peter later on that year uh, doing some uh, charity work. But Fred Westbrook was at the Game Show Congress, and I just casually said, hey, Mr. Westbrook, yeah, here, here's this photo that I bought off of you last year. I was going to get Peter Tamarkin to sign it. And he was just like totally amazed. What are the odds that somebody that he sold something to on eBay was at this conference in Burbank? I, I think it was just a, a really crazy uh, moment, a crazy experience. But yeah, that was Fred Westbrooks for about the first, I guess, 20 years since Hitman aired. And it's been mine for just about the last 20 years since that uh, day, again, 2004-ish. Nice little backstory there. I thought you guys would enjoy that. Well, you know what? That's going to be a great piece to have in the museum. Oh, I'm already donating to the museum. You, absolutely. That's definitely part of the museum. Oh, yeah. That's going to go right in the entranceway. Once you see the McCoyne Stevenson statue, you come in, you're greeted by that picture of Hitman. Oh, no. I thought you were talking about the slide. I had the idea of... McLean Stevenson statue, him holding the slide out like this in between his fingers, and we put the slide there for everybody to see. We could do both. We, we could take the photo. That could greet people as they come in the museum, and as they go past the statue, here's the slide where that image came from. Thank you, McLean. All right. I think now we can return to 2023 and formally close up the first 
episode of the new year. Yep. We've taken the time machine back to 1983, exactly 40 years ago, this day, found four interesting premieres. One, of course, would go on to become game show lore. Another would just be an icon of the genre that persists to this day. But the other two, Just Men and Hitman, they would just be things on TV. But they'd be beloved things on TV. Oh, they would be beloved. You had your first exposure to a national audience for Peter Tamarkin, and you also had your first exposure of Betty White as an MC. And uh, she may not have done all that well, maybe in the grand scheme of things, but still, she was one of the first uh, female MCs of a national game show, and she got an Emmy for it. Hey, guys, I hear you say Peter Tamarkin? Yes, Whammy. Hey, Happy New Year. Oh, hi, Whammy. How did you celebrate the New Year? Oh, guys, I got to talk because the IRS is coming after me for back taxes over the last 45 years. They want to get taxes from me and my dad, the devil. Oh, well, that sucks. How am I going to come up with $17 million by the 15th of January? You owe $17.5 million? Well, do you know how much me and my dad have taken over the years? True. And then then interest and penalties? $17 million. For what? A Nissan Sentra. I don't care about Nissan Sentras. Well, just remember, Whammy, you still have all those, like, old CED players that you stole back in 1984. That I could sell for $3 a piece. So what? I'm going to be going to prison, guys. Oh, oh. I'm not going to last two days in there. So next time you see me, don't be surprised if I'm all tatted up. And I've got a boyfriend named Bubba. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm not meant for the big house. So please, if you're going to help me out, you know, go give me money on PayPal or Venmo or Zelle. Or go to my GoFundMe page. Disclaimer, please do not send money to the whammy. Shut up! Send me money! (laughs) I gotta pay these taxes. Disclaimer again, do not send the whammy any money. It's okay, all your fault, Mike. Hey, I pay my taxes, you little punk. (laughs) Somebody spring me out of jail. Maybe I'll be back in future episodes. Well, while we scrounge up enough to uh, make bail, but not really, we invite you to go to our website. It was a thing on TV.com. You can listen to all of our previous entries, all of our live shows, our mini-sodes, all of the uh, present series, all sorts of stuff. We have over 400 episodes of content. We painstakingly curated for your benefit. So just go there and listen to it all. We also have links to all of our socials. We are on all of the socials that it was a thing on TV, except for Facebook, because it's just men. So they gave us 
It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And we also have a link to our YouTube where you can like, subscribe, hit that notification bell to stay up to date on all of our future entries. This Thursday, America celebrates National Trivia Day. And we're going to celebrate National Trivia Day in America by taking a trip to Japan. We're going to Japan? We are going to Japan, y'all. All right. Well, not only are we going to Japan, but hold on a second. We mentioned today is January 3rd. Yes. Tomorrow, January 4th, is New Japan Pro Wrestling Wrestle Kingdom 17. So tomorrow, me and Chico are doing a special live show for WCW Starcade 1985, which features WCW against New Japan Pro Wrestling in the World Cup of Wrestling. And not only that, if you call now and promise to tell a friend about it, help us get some word of mouth advertising, we will include, at no additional cost, a triangle match. A triangle match. Yes. Sting, Lex Luger, the total package, and the nature boy, Rick Flair. Woo! Fighting for the right to challenge the macho man Randy Savage for the WCW belt. Oh, yeah. But you know what I want to see happen? What do you want to see happen? Ellie Gante coming out of nowhere saying, I want the belt. Hey, guys, is it just me or did Chico's macho man Randy Savage sound a little bit like Eddie Mecca? Hey, hey, I'm going to wrestle, then I'm going to eat some pizza. Hey, I'm going to take on these triangle matches, then I'm going to get some triangles of pepperoni. Hey, hey, why that guy who attacked Greta Thunberg get his pizza in Romania? Everyone knows Romanian pizza's not good. Hey, hey. You can't say we're not timely with a good old Andrew Tate reference. Moral of the story. Don't troll on the internet. Moral of the story is don't be friggin' trash, people. That too. But yeah, uh, Chico's Macho Man sounded a lot like Petty Mecca. I'm and the now Macho I want... Man! Hey! And now I want some pizza. All right. Well, we're gonna go get some pizza. Uh, we will see you for the next It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to each other and, um, ah. Wow! Please remember the whammy when you give this holiday <laughs> season. Get lost, will ya? Go. I'm gonna die in prison. I'm so sorry, whammy. You know, he has Elizabeth Banks' number. Why does he just call her? You know, maybe the whammy knows the cocaine bear. I have any white stuff around my nose? Oh, no, 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 no. Pablo Escobar. Jesus. I'm going to be Pablo Whammy Bear. Doesn't work? No.